We're continuing in our series on gospel fire this evening, and this is the penultimate talk. One more to go next week, and then the series is over, which is very depressing. But we've been looking in this series on gospel fire, we've been looking at the book of Acts. And so if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts again, we're going to be in Acts 11 today. But the book of Acts just centers on the person of the Holy Spirit, and It's such an incredible challenge to the church and indeed our church as we read this book and we look at the early church and how they acted and how they responded. I don't know about you, but I found time and time again, it's like, oh, wow, how do we live within our context in light of this? Because in it, it we see the incredible courage of the early church, that we see the risks that they took to see this message of the gospel spread. So we're going to be looking at chapter 11, verses 19 through to 24. So just grab scripture. If not, just come up behind me. It says this. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. If I would try... Uh, if I were to try and sum up the passage this evening uh, in a couple of words, that would be a challenge, but I would try to, to do so anyway. But it, it would be these two words, persecution and expansion. These two words, um, I think, really explain this passage. And back in chapter 8, we saw Stephen being stoned for his fit, faith after he stood up and he had this Holy Spirit-inspired speech where he explains the scriptures and the story of God so far. But they decide to stone him. And so it says in Acts 8 verse 1, it says, On that day when Stephen was stoned, and this passage also begins in the same way, talking about this persecution. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The church scattered. They began to run for their lives. And it took the recently formed disciples and exploded them in every direction. They were terrified. They were absolutely terrified. And so it just just went everywhere at this moment. The expansion occurred. Because when you're running for your life, you don't really care where you're going. You're just trying to get away and start again. And this is the moment when the gospel spread like fire. Because it went from being just the apostles who were talking and preaching the scriptures, and then suddenly it was the everyday Christian out and about in all of these different villages and towns and neighborhoods. Suddenly, rather than having just one large light in Jerusalem, you've got tiny bonfires in every village and town. And that's the picture. Now, I suppose that the disciples, they could have just scattered and been completely silent You know, if your life's under threat, there's got to be a real challenge of, do you know what, I'm not sure I want to tell anybody about Jesus. I am just going to lay low. 
I'm going to keep it really quiet. They could have gone to ground, and they could have just lived out of fear. But they didn't. They preached the word. That's what it says in the scriptures. They preached the word where they, where they went. And I've, I've just been thinking about this, this um, really about persecution this week, and, and how when somebody comes up against us, we are forced to clarify what we truly believe. In that moment, when somebody stands up, it's like, well, what do I actually believe? Am I going to live for this or not? I say that Jesus is Lord of my life, but what does that actually mean? Would I change jobs for it? Would I move to a new city for it? Would I sell my house for it? Would, would I move into a rough neighborhood for it? How far would I go? And in order for this fire to spread, it's first got to have taken root in our own hearts. And what I love about the book of Acts is that it's so raw, that so on the edge, the gospel, the good news is exploding outwards as, as faithful men and women risk everything for this message for the truth. And I don't know about you, but when I think about this, it confronts me and it draws me up short and it, challenge, it just challenges the way that I make decisions, the way that I live. And it asks questions about the courage of my soul. It whispers to me, would you put it all on the line for this? If you were in that situation, if I was in that situation, what would I have done? I'm in Jerusalem, I'm a new believer. And this is talking about new believers. This isn't necessarily talking about people that have loved the Lord for years and years. This was a new, they're new to faith, so many of these. And then they're just split apart and they're sent to every highway and byway. What would I have done in that moment? Would I have just kept quiet? Would I have kept my head down? Or would I have faithfully expanded the gospel? Would I have preached the word? This new chapter begins in Antioch. And it's a large city. It's about the size of Cardiff now. It was about half a million. And it was incredibly cosmopolitan. This is the starting place for the first international church. And really the springboard for the gospel reaching every nation. The starting place for world missions. The message of Jesus had moved beyond the Jewish people. It started with the Jews, and then it had gone to everybody, to every race, to every tribe, to every nation. And Stu did just a, a wonderful job of describing it a couple of weeks ago. But when we read the book of Acts, it forces us to think about our situation in Cardiff. Because there's, there's a danger that we have taken the gospel and we've domesticated, that we've tamed it, that we've taken a wild lion and made it a household pet stripped of its power. I think there's a real danger of that. The gospel is the life-changing. It's just absolutely life-changing, and it has eternal consequences. But is there a danger that we've consumed it, that we've become fat on it, that we've taken it for ourselves, and we've forgotten about the real message? And when I was kind of praying about this and thinking about this, the Lord just gave me this image, and he said, Do you know what? The gospel is something that's meant to be shared. It's like a meal. It's like a banquet, picture it, and you've got loads of people and they're, and they're taking part in it. But the danger is that what we've done is we've made it a microwave meal for one. I love a microwave meal for one, um, particularly macaroni and cheese. But, um, just the, the different images of that, though, aren't there? This meal that's eaten by ourselves or this meal that is shared, those two different things. In, in the West... We tend to live in a church culture that has a dangerous tendency to disconnect the grace of God from the glory of God. 
that these two concepts need to be held in tension. If my first point was about persecution and expansion, then my second is about grace and glory. So let me, let me just kind of delve into this for a moment. Our hearts and our culture love the idea of enjoying God's grace. So we, we love to go to conferences and we love to hear sermons and books that talk about grace centering on us. It's a nice message, isn't it? It's like, do you know what? The Lord absolutely loves you. He is so for you. His grace is magnificent. And do you know what? That is absolutely true. That, it's the most amazing thing that we can never quite get our heads around. I don't know about you, but I don't think I will ever completely understand the message of grace. I think I have moments where I'm like, I've got it. And then I'm like, no, it's gone again. I'm like, and living in works again. It's like, I think I've got to earn it. And then I'm like, I've got grace. No, it's gone. And, but just this idea of grace. But we love it. We love it when we hear talks about grace. Um, but if grace is disconnected from our purpose or from its purpose, the sad result is a self-centered Christianity that really misses the heartbeat of God. It misses the mark. The power is lost, and it becomes this, just this nice message that we come along on a Sunday, and you, you come and hear me, and it's this kind of nice beige message about the gospel. The gospel is powerful. It's life-changing. If you were to ask the average Christian in the UK sitting in a worship service on a Sunday morning to summarize the message of Christianity, it would be fascinating, firstly. But you would most likely hear something along the lines of this. The message of Christianity is that God loves me. Or you might even hear the message of Christianity is that God loves me enough to send his son Jesus to die for me. Do you know what? I've heard it many times. I've probably said it myself. But is that really the fullness of the message? Is that where it ends? When we say that, God loves me. Is that enough? Because if God loves me is the message of Christianity, then who is the object of Christianity? God loves me. Me, Christianity's object is me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Therefore, when I look for a church, I look for the music that best fits me and the programs that best cater for me and my family. When I make plans for my life and my career, it's all about what works for me, what works for my family. When I consider the house that I'm going to live in, the car I'm going to drive, the clothes I'm going to wear, the way that I'm going to live, I will choose according to what's best for me. And this is the version of Christianity that largely prevails in our culture, but it is not the gospel fire that we see in Acts. If this was the case, if this message, do you know that it just stops at grace, and that's it, it's all about me. If that was the case, wouldn't the apostles have settled down and stayed where they were? Isn't that the dangerous? That with, do you know the apostles who have been there? It's been like, I've got this magnificent message about the, the glorious gospel, and it's for me. And I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to eat on that. But I'm not going to take it any further. There wouldn't have been this urgency. There wouldn't have been this desperation to take it out beyond. It would have just settled. Wouldn't the disciples who were scattered under persecution, wouldn't they have just kept quiet? They would have bought good houses and made sensible decisions about the neighborhood that they were going to live in. It's a bit like, oh, this is a nice neighborhood. Let's just stay here. This is beautiful. So the message of biblical Christianity is not just God loves me finished. It's not enough. It's like a half gospel. It's the truth. That is true. 
but it's not enough. As if we were the object of our own faith. The message of biblical Christianity is God loves me so that I might make him, his ways, his salvation, his glory, and his greatness known among the nations. Can you see, without the second part, we're missing the whole part. And then we wouldn't have the urgency and the desperation that we see within these disciples, within these apostles, to take this message outwards. It's for everybody. It's for, abs- it's for all nations. That's why this church in Antioch was so incredibly important, because it moved beyond the Jews. You know, the first part of the book of Acts is all about to the Jews, to the Jews, to the Jews. And they weren't even sure that it was going to go beyond the Jews. Imagine if it had just stopped there with this one nation. And God said, that's not enough. It's got to go. It's got to go to the Gentiles. And there was this moment where suddenly Peter understood that. It was like, oh, it's going to go so much further than the Jews. And I think it's the same with us. It's like we can sit here and we could go, do you know what? The gospel is just for us. It's enough. It's done. It's for me. His grace is sufficient for me. And then we sit and we go, do you know what? I'm not going to risk I'm not going to take it any further than that. We're just going to settle down and we're going to live a nice life. That is not the gospel. That the Lord wants it to go to every single person. Everybody's welcome to come. Every tribe, any, every nation, every person. Why is it that there are so many people that care about groups that have never, ever heard the gospel? That they'll go, we send missionaries. Do you know what? There are people in this city that have never, ever heard the gospel. There are probably thousands and thousands of people in this city that have never heard the gospel. Nobody's ever told them. Nobody's ever said, do you know what? Jesus is absolutely magnificent and he will change your life. Nobody's told them. This is gospel fire. This is what changes it. It's the message spreading from person to person to person like wildfire. God's grace and God's glory have to be held together. You cannot separate them. Now, if we hold his glory, God is the object of our faith, and Christianity centers around him. We are not the end of the gospel, God is. God centers on himself, even in our salvation. If you look at Ezekiel 36, it says this, he saves us, not for our sake, but for the sake of his holy name. Not just for us, but for his name. We have received salvation so that his name will be proclaimed in all nations, everywhere. God loves us for his sake in the world. And do you know what? This might come as a bit of a shock to us. It's like, wow, I kind of divorced this second aspect of it being all about the Lord's glory. That's the danger, is that we just take the half of it and we go, God's grace. It's like, and God's glory. You've got to hold these two together. We're not the center of his universe. God is at the center of his universe, and everything that he does ultimately revolves around him. And the Bible isn't saying that God doesn't love us deeply. On the contrary, we see in Scripture a God of unusual, surprising, intimate passion for his people. But that passion doesn't ultimately center on his people. It centers on his greatness, his goodness, and his glory being made known to the nations. To disconnect God's blessing from God's global purpose is to begin to spiral downwards into an unbiblical, self-saturated Christianity that misses the point of God's grace. God's highest purpose is not for us to have a comfortable life. 
Sorry to break it to you. But it's true. If it's not careful, even if you begin to think about the way that you pray, what are the prayers that you pray? I include myself in this. I'm preaching to myself. You you must realize every time I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself. (laughs) But just think back over the last couple of weeks. what What have your prayers been for? Have they been for you? Or have they been for him and his glory? I know very easily we just subtly shift into, and it's not wrong to pray for our own lives. And again, we've got to hold, that's why this is the tension, because if suddenly you go too far this way, then it's all about God's glory, and suddenly we forget God's grace, and then it's just works. We're into works. It's all that we do for the Lord. And suddenly we've forgotten, oh my goodness, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, that God lavishes his love upon me. And that's why these two things have just got to be held like this, firmly together, God's grace and God's glory. It's beautiful when you hold the two together. So God's highest purpose is not for us to have a comfortable life. It's to see his love, his life, his grace, and his glory fill the earth. When we begin to do this, we begin to understand purpose. We have a purpose for our life, to take his glory. Do you know that God has called you to extend his kingdom Where God's will is done. That's what we're talking about, God's kingdom. It's where his will is done. He's the king of the kingdom. Moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Every single one of us who says that Jesus is Lord. Some of you are here and you're on a journey. You know, you're not quite sure what you would say about Jesus. For those of you that know exactly where you stand with Jesus, you're like, Jesus is Lord. You've been conscripted into his army. You're part of an army of the Lord, an army that exists to see his grace, his life, his love, and his glory fill the earth. If we understand this, if it begins to sink into our souls, it will radically change the way that we live. Why? Because we've answered the question of purpose. So often we're looking for the smaller things about, well, what is it? Is it this job? Is it this city? Is it this situation? Do you know what? Stand back for a minute. It's about his glory. We want to know the specifics. And do you know what? The specifics are important to the Lord as well. He has places for us to go. He's got divine appointments for us to have. He's got people for us to meet. He's got grace for us to pour out. He's got his love that we manifest to people. We're his hands and feet on his earth. But if you take a step back just for a moment and go, you know, people are like, what's what's God's will for my life? It's quite an easy question, really. (laughs) In, In one sense, it's like, It's to experience his grace, it's to know that you stand in grace, and it's to spend your life being about his glory. That would answer 93% of your questions. The final 7% is just where, how. (laughs) There are some more questions, but do you you see what I mean? We, We get so hung up on the little things that we haven't understood what God's doing. When we understand that, every situation that we go into, every environment is a possibility for Jesus to work. It radically changes the way that you look at life. You're like, I've been put here for this time in order to see the Lord's kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as in heaven. It's the prayer. That's that's what we're praying. Let your kingdom come. Lord, we need to see a bit of heaven on earth. In every situation that is utterly broken, we need heaven to break in. That's what we're doing as disciples. We live, this world is a mess around us. Communities are a mess. And therefore we're like, let let heaven come. Let heaven come to earth. 
That's what we're praying. Let your glory come to earth. Let this person experience your glory. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When I used that image earlier of a banquet rather than a microwave wheel, at the heart of it, what we're doing is we're saying the gospel is available for everybody. Would you come and taste and see that the Lord is good? That's what we've experienced, that he is so good, that his grace is here, that every time that we come together as his people, we stand there and we invite the Spirit of God to come in our midst. And we taste and see that the Lord is good. I love the fact that every single moment of every day, I can taste and see that the Lord is good. He is available. He's he's there. He lives within me. Jesus His spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of me. Therefore, in any circumstance, I can experience him. He's there. He's available. That's what changes our life. It's not just here on a Sunday. It's every moment of every day. He's there, living inside us, just waiting for us to commune with his Holy Spirit. If we would open our ears to hear what he's doing. We have a mission. That's what I'm saying That's the point that I'm saying this evening. We have been commissioned. We have a mission to the ends of the earth. It's massive. It's so huge. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I can't quite get my head around it. It is so huge to the ends of the earth. We have a mission and we need to not get distracted. We need to not forget what it's all about. There is a purpose for our life. Each, Each of us has got different gifts, different skills, different passions, God has gifted you and me in incredibly different ways. This is undoubtedly the case with the disciples. Peter and Paul had different callings. James and John had different callings. However, each follower of Jesus in the New Testament, regardless of his or her calling, was intended to take up the mantle of proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. That was the mission. Do you know what? The mission has never changed. It's still exactly the same. That's the reason why he gave each of them his spirit. And why he gave them all the same plan. Make disciples of all nations. In Romans 1, 14 to 15, Paul talks about being a debtor to the nations. He literally says, I am in debt to the Jews and the Gentiles. And the language is profound. And Paul is saying that he owes a debt to every lost person on the face of the planet because he's owned by Jesus Christ. He owes Christ to the world. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person. That's quite a big thing, isn't it? Even just to stop and think. I'm just going to say that again. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person. We owe Christ to the world. To the least person and to the greatest person, to the richest person, to the poorest person, to the best person, to the worst person. We are in debt to the nations. God has made us for his glory. Persecution and expansion, grace and glory. I'm hammering it into your heads today. Sometimes people are like, I can't remember what you said. You spoke at me for half an hour and I've got no idea what you said. Well, hopefully you remember today. (laughs) Lost and found. Just to to finish this, news of this, verse 22 down to verse 24, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. A great number of people were brought to the Lord, not just a few. 
What it's made me realize about Barnabas is that he is a legend. Barnabas is a great man. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And when I think about Barnabas, you think he's the kind of person that you'd love to be your friend. It's like Barnabas. Yeah, he'd be a good friend, wouldn't he? But in the middle of the word encouragement is the word courage. Do you know what? When we think about the word encourager today, it feels quite weak. It's like, oh, they're an encouraging person. Do you know what? In the middle of the word encouragement is courage. It takes courage to be that much of an encourager. It's not that easy (laughs) to be an encourager. Somebody who is encouraging is courageous because what happens is if they know Jesus, every environment that they go into, they call out God's nature and his design for people. That's what they're doing. They change environments. Encouragers change environments. Do you know what? As Christians, we're called to change the environments that we go into. Not because we're just preaching at people, but because of what we carry. In every environment that we go into, Barnabas changed environments. He was a good man. I love thinking about that. Just in, it's, it's, it's kind of a really small thing. It's like, well, what, what's a good man? A good man would be somebody that you'd respect, somebody that you like. He was a good man, somebody that you trust. Trust would be in there. And um, to be truthful and loving. And I've been talking about God's glory and his heart for the nations, which is pr- pretty massive. So how do we ground this? How do we take this from a concept up there and bring it down to here? And I think we see in the person of Barnabas what it looks like to live for God's glory. I think he's so helpful. We move from here to here. He personifies this, and he helps us to break it down. The first thing that you need to realize about Barnabas is that he was sent into this situation. It, just, it, was just, it kind of starts like that, and Barnabas was sent to Antioch. Firstly, he was willing to go. That's the thing about Barnabas. He didn't have to go, but he did. So he went into this new environment, sent. He's one of those people that says, Lord, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Here I am, Lord, send me. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. The way that he held himself and operated led to many, many people coming to faith. And in verse 23, it says that when he arrived, he saw God's grace. And I think that's a great starting place, to, sit, to be able to see God's grace in any environment that you go into, knowing where God is asking you to put your time and your energy, looking for where God is working, looking for where, you're, where God is moving. Do you know what? Again, it's one of these moments where we just have to stand back. So often we charge into an environment, we do the things that we do. But are we looking for God's grace? Are we looking to see where the Lord's working? Do you know what? God is always at work. Always. He's always working and he's always moving. Our challenge is to see whether we can see what the Father's doing. That's the challenge of every Christian in an environment. It's to say, Jesus, what is it that you're doing? Where are you working? Where is it that you would love me to partner with you? You're already moving. What is it that you do? And so Barnabas starts. He's a sent person who then sits there and he's like, I'm available and I'm looking to see God's grace where he's moving. One thing that I can tell you for definite is that God is moving where people don't know him. God's heart is for the lost, those outside of relationship with him. When we begin to ask God how I can be used 
for your glory. It will uproot the way that you live because the focus becomes God and not yourself. The prayer shifts subtly from, God, I'd love you to bless this situation. God, Jesus, I want to be, I'd love you to be in this situation to this prayer. Father, what are you doing? Where are you moving? How can I partner with you today? When you wake up in the morning, it's like, Lord, what do you want to do today? Who is it that you want to meet? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to speak to? What divine opportunity are you going to give me today? They're radically different lives. We start in grace. We never come out of grace, but then we move into glory. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's how he did it. What would you look like if you were full of the Holy Spirit and faith? Just insert your name into this sentence. Rather than it being Barnabas, what would it be? Pete was full of the Holy Spirit. Pete was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. How would that happen? Personally, I've been on a bit of a journey with this over the last month. Just this concept that the, that the Lord wants to work in every moment of every day. Because the reality is it's easy to come into environments and to sit here on a Sunday and be filled up by Jesus because it's, cause the community's gathered. And then what happens is we, we hit Monday morning and we're like, oh no, I'm back in. Maybe it's just me that feels like that. When suddenly I realize, oh no, I've got the school run with three kids. I mean, that's enough to send somebody over the deep end. Now, most of you don't have that, but you're just like, oh no, I've got a nine o'clock lecture. How rude to give me a nine o'clock lecture. Um, but my, oh, I don't know where I'm going. I've just got completely lost. It's just, just this point is that it's so easy to wake up Monday and to have for completely forgotten what the Lord's doing, unless we sit there and wait on the Lord. And so I've been doing something called Ignatian Spirituality over the last few weeks. And um, one of the things that it talks about is, is just really opening your day with Jesus. And often we sit there and we're like, man, I just need to get a couple of verses of Scripture into my soul. What you do with this, the opening, is basically you sit before the Lord and you wait until you feel his presence. Now, the first day I did this, it took me 20 minutes. It's like, man, I haven't got time for this. 20 minutes, because my head was so full of what I needed to do that it, that it took me that long to encounter Jesus. And then the idea is that you do this, that this becomes part of what you do every day of your life, and that you begin to see Jesus in those small moments. And so I've started with the opening and then some scriptures and then you can move on into, it's, it's fascinating, I'm not going to go into it, but the exam and many other things. But it has, it has begun to radically change my relationship with God. It's really profound. But in order for fire to spread, we have to carry it ourselves. You cannot give away what you do not have. Now, if you believe in Jesus, yes, you have a deposit of the Holy Spirit, but that does not mean that you are a fire burning brightly. Those two things are different. Yes, you're saved. <laughs> but are you operating in all the fullness of what the Lord is calling you into? And that is our challenge while we're on, here on earth, is to grow into maturity. It's the process of what the Bible calls sanctification, to be made holy is that day by day by day, I begin to look more and more like Jesus. 
I begin to look more and more like my saviour. That's his vision for us. The Holy Spirit makes us aware of God's heart, which leads to seeking his glory. So just to recap, persecution to expansion, grace and glory, and then this, just this idea of Barnabas, who was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and to think about yourself, what would it take for you to be full of the Holy Spirit and faith? Finally, I want to finish with a challenge to you. As many of you are aware, we're moving into the Christmas season and we can read the book of Acts and be like, wasn't it wonderful that God moved so powerfully then? What would it look like for God to move powerfully over the next month in our city, in our neighborhood, in our school, in our workplace? In my experience, the greatest way to see God's glory manifest in our lives is to start praying and listening to the Lord, to see where his grace is moving. And I would love every person who's a part of this community to consider praying for a number of people during this season. I'll tell you why. Christmas is a really interesting time because we hang around a lot of people that we don't normally hang around. <laughs> that we, we have opportunities. Let's say that you'll spend a lot of time with your family over Christmas, for instance. For others of you, you might have a workplace and there will be a work due that you don't normally do for the rest of the year. There are opportunities that happen in Christmas time that don't happen in the rest of the year. And so my challenge is this, that I would love you to pray for some people. I don't care who it is, but there are people in your lives that do not, know, do not yet know the Lord and that you would love to see know the Lord. What would it be to get on your knees for them and to say, Jesus, I'm going to seek you for these people? Jesus, would you break my heart from this? Jesus, show me how I can be your hands and feet in these people's lives. Lord, is there anything that you want to speak to them? Is there any word that you want to send them? What would it take? And so we get down. And so what I'm asking you to do is grab your phones. I don't normally ask you to get your phones out. No BBC Sport. I'd love you to grab your phones. And I'd love you to do this. I'd love you to write three to five names in there that you would commit to pray for during this season. It could be a family member that doesn't know the Lord. In some senses, it's like, Lord, who is it that you're asking me to seek your face for? Do you know what? For many of you coming to faith, somebody would have prayed for you to come into the kingdom. It could have been your mother. It could have been your grandmother. It could have been a father. It could have been anybody. But there were people that probably prayed for you to come to faith. What about you begin to journey that? And what I want you to do is, once you've written those three names, I don't want you to write them in a note. I want you to put them in a recurring calendar appointment. Because if you stick them on a note, you'll have forgotten by tomorrow. The amazing thing about technology is it can really change your life, both for good and for bad. You can put it in as many times as you want in a day. Oh, no, I've put it in 73 times to break. <laughs> but you could do that. If we're serious about people coming into the kingdom, my encouragement is that we need to pray and we need to seek the Lord. So I'd love you to do that. I'd love you to join me in that. And as a church, wouldn't it be amazing? We've got a heart for the lost prayer meeting coming up in not this Monday, but the Monday after. Why do we do that? We do it because we're desperate to see people come to faith. We don't want to just sit here and talk about it. And do you know what? The Lord is the most powerful. He can move. He can break into people's lives. He can do remarkable things. But he does ask us to partner with him. 
And then finally, on your way out, we've grouped a whole load of flyers. And I'll tell you why. Because, do you know what? Not everybody's at a stage where we invite them to something. But a lot of people are. A lot of people have come into the kingdom because they've been invited. It's a really simple thing to be invited to something. The reason that we do all the stuff that we do over Christmas is not for us to have a jolly knees up. Yes, we want to praise Jesus. It's good. But the reason that we do this is because we're desperate to see people come to know him. We want them to taste the gospel. We want them to taste and know how good their God is. And so as you go out, I'd love you just to grab a bunch of those and to sit there and just be like, what is it that I could invite some people to? To take, to take some steps of courage, to take some steps of faith and be like, do you know what, I'm going to invite them to the beer and carols. It's a low bar thing. I could invite them to the part play event. Whatever it is, don't really mind. So two things. Would you start to pray for people and would you think about what is it that, what could be the next step in somebody's journey to faith?